Hemophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles. Or should we say top of the morning? Oh, top, top of the morning, fellow Anglophiles. Welcome to this week's thrilling episode of Anglophilia. I'm Stephanie Callis. And I'm Kaylee McMahon, which is an appropriately Irish name for the topic at hand. I know, you're so lucky. Sorry about it. <laughs> or should I say lucky? <laughs> I'm not even that Irish. It's just the most paternal eighth of me that is Irish. In case you haven't figured it out, today we're going to be talking about a gem of a freaking sitcom, Father Ted. I'm so excited to be talking about this. You know how when you're watching one of your favorite movies, you say, oh, this is my favorite part. Oh no, this is my favorite part. No, this is my favorite part. I feel like every week we're setting ourselves up to be like, this is my favorite show. No, this is my favorite show. And obviously when we revisit these beloved series, they're going to be inspiring fondness and nostalgia. But for some reason, this one in particular, just hearing the opening strains of the theme music and seeing the footage of the lush Irish countryside, it just felt like a warm hug from an old friend or a cup of tea prepared by an overeager housekeeper. It's just lovely. I think that if, you know, desert island scenario and <laughs> in this scenario, instead of a film or a book, it's like you can take a couple different TV series DVDs. I think that I would absolutely grab... Father Ted, season two in particular. Season two is my favorite as well. We'll go into all that. I was just going to give the obligatory spiel. The obligatory spiel. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Father Ted premiered in April of 1995 and aired until May of 1998. There were three seasons, including a Christmassy Ted, totaling 25 episodes. It starred Dermot Morgan as Father Ted, comedian Ardell O'Hanlon as uh, Father Dougal McGuire, although they're both comedians, so I don't know why I put comedian in front of Ardell. Um, Pauline McClynn as Mrs. Doyle and Frank Kelly as Father Jack. And it was co-created by Arthur Matthews and Graham Linehan or Linehan. Let's call the whole thing off. I'm going to butcher it either way as I have a harsh Californian accent. And he also went on to create Black Books and the IT crowd. So yeah, very, very good pedigree on this show. Uh, it's also very near and dear to my heart because this show marks the beginning of our friendship and by extension this podcast that you're listening to right now yeah no absolutely true and i stumbled upon this show by absolute accident it's now kind of filed under in my family anyway filed under great weird fucking things that steph found <laughs> and i think that this is probably one of my absolute favorite contributions to the lives of my friends and family i I was 15, and it's all because I was in love with Ewan McGregor that when I was channel surfing, I had my three or four go-to channels that I would have to check, and if nothing was on, then I guess it was time to do homework. But <laughs> BBC America was always one of yes. them, and it was one, I want to say it was Thursday, but it was some weekday afternoon, and I went to BBC America, and something called Father Ted was on, and it was the episode, The Plague. Mm. And my life changed so drastically. I would watch it every week with my younger brother. Aww. And um, what, what's awesome is that I think that they would show two in a row. 
And so I think that I saw The Plague followed by cigarettes, alcohol, and rollerblading. Which were also the first two episodes that you showed me because the first time that we ever hung out socially outside of school was when you brought your Father Ted DVDs over and changed my life. We were talking about a mutual love of British comedy. I said, have you heard of Father Ted? You said no. And then after, after improv practice, yeah, you <laughs> called me, said, want to bring over your Father Ted DVDs. And that was it, man. Yeah, oh my gosh. Start of a beautiful friendship. I was instantly on board with both the delightful zany show and the the lovely young woman who brought it into my life. You know, I think it was after the first or second time I watched Father Ted. I think that I watched Father Ted and then I had to go upstairs and write an essay about Beowulf. <laughs> I remember that vividly. Uh, it, it was just the most downer transition of, oh, fine. Uh, and yes, Alvy Singer, I did take a class where they made me read Beowulf, but I was a teenager, so you'd be into that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and speaking of pedophilia, <laughs> let's talk priests. <laughs> They've all been banished to Craggy Island, which is, quote, some godforsaken place off the West Coast. And it's because all three of them, Ted, Dougal, and Jack, have committed various terrible crimes. And you hear about Ted's consistently, pretty much, it sounds like he stole some money from a charity mm -hmm. and went to Las Vegas whilst that poor child was in Lourdes. <laughs> and he defends himself periodically throughout the show. That money was just resting in my account. Okay, that money was just resting in my account is the Irish, we were on a break. Oh, it's absolutely true, even though I've never watched Friends, but, but, you know I, the but I do know the quote. It's yep. penetrated, yeah. You know, I'm happy that you bring that up because I have encountered Americans who have never watched Friends or The Sopranos. Now, of course, I encounter more Americans on a daily basis than I encounter Irish transplants. More is the pity. But out of the maybe five Irish people I've met out in the wild... All of them know Father Ted, and all of them love the Pogues. So I kind of feel like Father Ted is a great equalizer, and the show's taken very seriously and, and very much beloved. It makes me incredibly proud of my one-eighth Irish heritage, let me just say. <laughs> <laughs> and it should. Yeah. There's the great documentary that I know both of us watched. It's available on YouTube called Small Far Away. Oh. And it's all about Father Ted and the co-creator, um, Graham. Can we just agree to say Linehan? Just steer into your Americanness. You can't fight it. That's true. I cannot fight my Americanness, no matter how much Father Ted I watch. But <laughs> he said something, Kaylee, that I was trying to articulate to you, actually, when we were trying to figure out the order of the shows that we were going to talk about on this podcast. Oh, yes. He said it much greater than I did. I tried to tell you that we should talk about Father Ted at the season finale. I said, it just has all the things. And you were like, say more. And I couldn't. <laughs> oh, well, sorry that we blew our wad on episode three. <laughs> no, 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 no. But listen, he said, we wanted to make an Irish sitcom with the insanity of the young ones, the cleverness of Blackadder, and the kind of farce elements of Faulty Towers. Yes, I made note of that quote, I too. I think it's just, that's absolutely so true. That, yeah. that That is what this show is. But then Arthur Matthews adds... Also, with all that Irish madness. It's a perfect formula. That actually really makes me so happy because Young Ones, Blackadder, and Faulty Towers, all being English shows and all being, you know, older than Father Ted and starring these legendary comedians. I love that a small little, you know, Irish show is is among them. But that also goes to show my, my American absolute 
ignorance that I call it a small little Irish show that I, you know, accidentally discovered one day. When it was airing in your country on a channel that was widely popular. Exactly. It's all about my American perspective and oh, well, isn't this so weird? But no, it's, it's massively huge. It's a contender. It's a huge show. Yeah. I think it's interesting that, as you mentioned, the two leads, or, the, or you know, two of the four leads, I should say, uh, were coming from a stand-up comedy background rather than an acting background. And one of the things that I was delighted to learn from the documentary that you just mentioned is that between takes, when they were recording the episodes in front of a live studio audience, Dermot Morgan would sort of serve as the warm-up guy and, and you know, be playing off the audience and, and saying funny things. Uh, I just think that's so delightful. I, I can't imagine the experience of getting to watch a Father Ted filmed live and B to have people as as talented and wonderful and personable as those two leads to keep the laughter going. And I did love when Ardell O'Hanlon brought that up and then said he would try to get me to join in, but I was just trying to do my job and I was worried that if I came out of Dougal that I wouldn't be able to get back in the zone. Because neither of these dudes were trained actors, a la Frank Kelly, who oh, yeah. is the most adorable and articulate <laughs> old Irish person in that documentary. I know, it's such a beautiful stretch. Oh, and can we talk about Pauline McGlynn? First of all, I didn't know until looking this up on Wikipedia, but she was only 33 when season one was filmed. I mean, that's shout out to the makeup artist, whoever that was. I should have looked it up because that's really stunning. And also just her her physicality and her commitment to that character is so funny. I think she may it's a tight race and I dearly love them all, but she may turn in the funniest performance out of these four. I don't like playing favorites, but she's just, she's a fucking gem. No, she may. And I love that the male co-creators are not afraid of that whatsoever. Yes. In that documentary, they commented that too many female sitcom characters are only there to comment on how wacky the men are being. Exactly. Yeah. It's the Marge Simpson role. And I love Marge, but- I love that she doesn't have to be pretty and she doesn't have to scold these people for their zaniness. She just gets to be her own weird person who's just as grotesque or almost as grotesque, I guess, as, as Father Jack. Yeah, but I do I do love the moments where Mrs. Doyle is uh, getting gussied up for uh, oh, Pat Mustard, yes. the sexy milkman. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that episode. Gosh, I mean, should we talk favorite episodes? There's too we many. Should- we, there's so many well we'll we'll work through them slowly over the course of probably two hours and we'll have to cut like half of what we said oh my gosh okay that episode is like it's so stupid and i say stupid in a loving way like it i mean that as a high compliment it's so that he can't go over four miles an hour it's just such a fun Help, little parody. i don't want to be a milkman anymore <laughs> it's a good it's a very good dougal episode and a very good mrs doyle episode but it's so sad when the real milkman dies at the end. That's That was like the one little ray of sunshine in Mrs. Doyle's dreary little life. And then it gets taken away from her. I mean, what did Pat Mustard do wrong, really? He was servicing all of the repressed Irish housewives of Craggy Island and giving them beautiful hairy babies. Not using birth control, which is it's pointed out to Father Ted that that's you know, hypocritical for him to be advocating for that. Yeah, to which Ted says, just feck off. <laughs> Always the right response. That's something that is really uh, key to the the hilarity of the show and also in the world of Craggy Island, you really don't know why the hell any of these men are priests. No, you really and don't. Dougal especially seems to have not even a fundamental understanding of the story of Jesus. 
but he enters the show in the pilot and he says, it's great being a priest, isn't it, Ted? And he says, what are we going to do today, Ted? Confessions and mass and things like that. <laughs> and if you wanted to, you almost could watch the show with the made up theory that Dougal's like some kind of spy or he's he's <laughs> undercover. He's a mole because it's almost Taking down like on any Catholic other stupid from the farcical inside. sitcom where someone's pretending to be of a certain identity and they're just picking out the most stereotypical stupid things about about a certain career or lifestyle. Yeah. It's great being a priest, isn't it, Ted? It's like, who who are you? Are, are you really a priest? Who says yeah. this? I think that something that's so charming about this show is that in some ways it kind of exists within the stupid conventions of traditional sitcoms while also turning them on their head and sending them up. That's that's an example of like clumsy exposition like you were talking about like mom when I went to hotel school. And I think that they do a really fantastic job of making fun of these tropes while also comfortably existing within them. The Christmas episode in particular comes to mind. There's the part where like, oh, there's a baby on the doorstep and then it's like a false alarm it's just a red herring this woman says oh sorry wrong house and then they say oh it would be really funny if we had to take care of a baby wouldn't it oh no it really wouldn't oh no i suppose you're right it wouldn't actually be that funny <laughs> so many good little moments like that where where they it gets a little bit brechtian in a way and recognizes the sort of falseness and absurdity of, of the sitcom universe that they live in no it's true and ted has that excellent line in season two in tentacles of doom yes. where the bishops are visiting craggy island to upgrade the holy stone of clon rickard to a class two relic which <laughs> How wonderful is that? But they're trying to talk about how they're going to deal with Jack. Can we really just have him among these these bishops? And they they want to teach him phrases other than drink, arse, feck, and girls. And the one they come up with that's going to be like the ace in the hole is... That would be an ecumenical matter! And Ted says, that's what I always say when people ask me questions. <laughs> so great all-purpose... <laughs> Because yeah, he, none of them are invested in... He doesn't have an answer. And he says, that's the great thing about Catholicism. It's so vague. No one really knows what it's all about. Yes, that's one of so many smart little swipes at uh, at organized religion in general and Catholicism in particular that this show manages to get in. And going back to Dougal for a second, and how he he's kind of like an atheist idiot savant in a way <laughs> like he yes. you know out of the mouths of babes he convinces one of the bishops to leave the church and go off in a van full of hippies on a trip to india smoking pot because he just pokes a few very obvious holes in the the logic of the literalism of catholicism so father do you ever have any doubts about the religious life is your faith ever tested Anything you've been worried about? Any doubts you've been having about any aspects of belief? Anything like that? Well, you know the way God made us all, right? And uh, he, he's looking down at us from heaven and everything. Uh -huh. And then his son came down and saved everyone and all that. Yes. And when we die, we're all going to go to heaven. Yes. What about it? Well, that's the bit I've trouble with. <laughs> That's one of the most brilliant it's, things in the oh show, I think, is that little exchange right there. Yeah, I remember that they used that clip as a, as a commercial for Father Ted on BBC America. I remember that. Oh, back in the day? Back in the day, yeah. It's so good. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
I think that the show, like I, my memories of it were being like very sort of tame, gentle comedy, but it's hella subversive. And if we come to the question, could this or would this be made in America? I think the answer would be no, certainly not in the 90s as a mainstream broadcast sitcom on a network because Americans take religion so very seriously. Uh, and I think that there would be crazy protests and it would be shut down. But like they they really don't pull their punches. In fact, on, on the Wikipedia page, it said that the creators had wanted to do a stage musical of Father Ted, which Oh my god, if that ever happens, uh, hit me up, fellas. I'm a really good lyricist. But uh, no, but seriously, they said that they wanted to draw inspiration from the Book of Mormon. And I want to preface this by saying that I really, really like Book of Mormon. I've seen it three times on two different continents. I think it's really brilliantly funny. It's a really good show. But content-wise, I feel like they do pull their punches uh, when it comes to taking aim at organized religion. Because I remember when the show was first announced, they said that Bobby Lopez was going to be teaming up with the South Park writers to write a show about Mormonism. I heard that right after... Um, Right after Prop 8 was passed in California, the, the anti-gay marriage. And I know that the Mormon church had been instrumental in the passage of that. And I thought, oh, good, they're going to really take aim at all of the, the bigotry and the homophobia and the racism within the church. And it's going to be such a good target for all that. And ultimately, they come down on the side of organized religion. They make fun of some of the outlandish particulars in, I think, the best song of the show, I believe. They make fun of, oh, it's so stupid that people believe that they get their own planet and Jesus came to America or whatever. And it's... it's it's funny, but it still doesn't really show the incredible damage that can be perpetrated by organized religion. Whereas Father Ted, it comes in a very palatable packaging, but it is sharp. And uh, you, I don't think that you would see that in America. No, because two things. I don't think that American comedians have quite yet fully mastered the art of being subversive and a little bit out there without being too mean? Yes. It's as you said, they're pulling the punches in certain aspects while, you know, hyping up the others that might be easier targets, but they also would not be able to make a joke such as when Ted says, I'm not a fascist. I'm a priest. Fascists dress in black and go around telling people what to do. Whereas priests... <laughs> More drink! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think there would be rioting in the streets, but I also think that American comedians would maybe try to push the envelope into territory that that's a little bit uglier, whereas... Oh, yeah, where it shows, like, Father Jack having sex with a five-year-old boy or something like that. Yeah. Whereas in Father Ted, they absolutely do not shy away from that topic whatsoever. Oh, my God, yeah. One of my favorite quotes is... Uh, Say if there's 200 million priests in the world and 5% and of them are pedophiles, that's still only 10 million. I quote that all the time. It's so funny. No, it's, it's so effing good, and it, it doesn't um, make fun of the, the traumatized children and their families. It absolutely, you know, points out the hypocrisy of this whole yes. religion. This show always punches up. We should use this as an opportunity to talk about Are You Right There, Father Ted, the season three premiere. It's so good. I don't think I had ever seen this episode before this week, or maybe I only saw it once and just didn't remember it. But that is in the vein of the uh, the Germans in Faulty Towers. It's such a beautiful use of political correctness because it displays racism in a way that doesn't reinforce racism. It's sort of like what Mad Men does with sexism, where Mad Men is not a sexist show. The creators of the show are absolutely on the side of the women. They're just portraying really shitty treatment, and it allows the audience to draw their own conclusion of, oh, yeah, that's really horrible and unacceptable. No, completely. And I think that 
I had, well, I know that I had seen this episode before, but in the same way as you, you know, I saw this as a teenager during Bush's first term. We weren't really concerned with these sort of issues as much and as loudly. Social media wasn't a thing. Um, Nazis weren't back yet, as far as we knew. Nazis are having a moment, (sighs) you know, so it opens with... We've got Dougal and Ted deciding they're going to clean the house themselves because Mrs. Doyle has fallen off the roof one too many times and can't do it for them. (laughs) And um, yeah, Ted just kind of picks up a lampshade, puts it on his head and proceeds to do an offensive impression of a Chinese person. And the the is it the Yin family? Um, Maybe we should look that up so as not to appear racist. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, why didn't I write this down? Because <laughs> you're a racist, just like Father Because I'm a total racist. <laughs> oh my Go God. On. Okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling this up on my phone because you have a good point. <laughs> um, it's the Yin family. I am absolved. It was the uncertainty that uh, that was your downfall. It was only my uncertainty. Yeah. again. No, it was it was because uh, you know Nazis are having a moment, and I uh, I don't I don't want to take this lightly, and th- this is an important discussion to have. Mm-hmm. But Father Ted is caught doing a nasty impression of um, he uses the word Chinaman, mm-hmm. and he's seen by the Yin family who have moved in not too far away, and he says, "I wouldn't have done a Chinaman impression if I'd known there'd be." A Chinaman to see me doing a Chinaman impression. And Dougal says, why not, Ted? To which Ted says back, because it's racist! And that is such a, that's a great example of Dougal being kind of a savant because it's clearly intended as like, oh, he's so stupid that he doesn't understand social niceties. But truly, it is the show's way of calling him out because if you wouldn't tell a joke about a certain ethnicity in front of a member of said ethnicity, then yeah, it is obviously racist. Even if you don't personally identify as racist, even if you're not gleefully racist like the Nazi priests that you associate with, or that woman Oh my god, that woman who is so happy about Father Ted's conversion to racism. Can we just talk about her for a second? I love when she says all that stuff about all these foreigners coming in and stealing our jobs and our women. And the fact that she is a woman, it's it's the perfect way of puncturing that argument because so many fucking racist, horrible shitbags use the phrase our women, like people who you know, go on these killing sprees of minorities because they're raping our women. Guess what? First of all, we're not your women and you do plenty of horrible stuff to us. It's not the idea of women as possession uh, and that that's one of your grievances against a racial minority. Is It's just such bullshit. And I think that putting that in the voice of a woman is the best way to just flip that on its head succinctly. It's genius. Well, dude is... Is President Trump not building a wall to keep all of the rapists out? Yeah, you know what? Move to the other fucking side. No, Mexico doesn't want that terrible rapist on their side of the wall. Just uh, just shoot yourself into space, motherfucker. We can, we should cut this, but like I'm just exercising some, uh, some demons. Go on. I don't see why we wouldn't keep that shit the fuck in. Maybe I just won't say the motherfucker part. Shoot yourself into space, you rapist dirtbag. There there we go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lordy. (laughs) No, but I think that what we're both kind of trying to say is that that is a depiction of a character in a sitcom, but she is saying things that are still echoed today 
in 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 this country and in other countries that we saw with Marine Le Pen mm-hmm. running to be, you know, president of France or is it prime minister? I'm ignorant. I'm fine I with it. President <laughs> to be the president of France. It, it was this thing about keeping out the immigrants. They're going to steal our jobs and take our women. And it's something that you hear in major countries in the world. No, it's true. And, it's um, and and that is the ideology that's being made fun of in Father Ted. It's not the Yin family. Never once are they the target or any of the racial minorities that you do see on the show the target of any sort of malice or or the women or gay people for that matter it's very very smartly done and i think a lot of times we mentioned this in the last episode people will frequently say shitty politically incorrect things under the cloak of satire quote unquote but it's not actually satirizing anything um i'm actually gonna quote something from daria which i love that show they're doing like an art contest and Brittany, the dumb cheerleader, says something like, this is a, a poster about doing drugs, and it's called Don't Do Drugs. And then they say, well, I see the drugs, but I don't see the don't. And then she takes her lipstick and puts a big red circle and a cross through it. And that's kind of what a lot of bad comedy that that masquerades as satire, but is actually just punching down. I don't see the don't. But in this case, it actually is one of those rare examples where they do something politically incorrect in service of a greater message. Most of the time, we don't need to hear white people's take on racism. And it's usually not funny. It's not a particularly fresh take. But this time, I think that they really got something right. And that episode is very ahead of its time. Completely, because what happens is that in order to then preserve his, you know, reputation, he throws, you know, a big, it's not a party, but it, it's a big um, presentation, all, all the mm-hmm. different races that are represented on Craggy Island. And he does yeah. it purely to save himself. He does not do it as Absolutely. a solution of anybody. It's, it's just to help himself out and Dougal says people will think you're a fantastic man instead of a big racist (laughs) and it immediately called to mind when Donald Trump when he was not yet elected time machine in my hand please he posted that picture on his Facebook of himself eating a taco salad and literally wrote I love Hispanics it's the same thing except that Father Ted we forgive him because we love him and he's not a horrible monster it does break my heart because he does you know, the the presentation is all bullshit, but it's when he then takes mm-hmm. all of the people of color of Craggy Island out to the mm-hmm. pub and buys them drinks, they mm-hmm. all do become friends and there's there's common ground found. And I'm not saying that it's yeah. it's alcohol that brings them together, but it's like, let's just be people who are out at a pub having a great time. And that works. It's it's the inclusivity that works. Mm-hmm. It's not the bombastic you know, phony display of of respect, etc. In the slideshow, I love just the picture of Ted, not a racist. <laughs> On the subject of how freaking ahead of its time this show is, should we then talk about Rockahula Ted? Yes, I do. I do want to talk about that first. I want to still. I want to talk about Nazis for a little bit longer. Oh. How fun. Something that I've noticed a lot, sort of in the vein of a lot of dead dogs in British comedies that we love, there is a lot of Nazi humor that you don't really see in comedies in the U.S. But if you think of, uh, you know, Faulty Towers, certainly, there's this episode of Father Ted. Mark in Peep Show is very fixated with Nazis. There's a lot of uh, uh, Psychoville. I can just think of so many British comedies where that is a topic for humor. And it's interesting I mean, it's never done in a way that, I, you know, as a Jewish person, I'm not offended because, again, Nazis are always the target and it's such an easy villain. But I just wondered, 
what you think maybe the reason for that fixation in British comedy is. I think that it's a combination of things. I think that it's easy as Americans to forget just how much the British won that damn war. Yeah. We came in at, at the very end. but And for the most part, it wasn't fought on our home turf. I mean, there, there was Pearl Harbor, but other than that, it was a glaring exception. But but that was that was the catalyst for us entering the thing in the first place. Winston Churchill had been rocking the shit out of that thing for a long time. And yeah. so I think it might be a combination between just, you know, not nationalism, but the national pride that might come with, you know, what a great job we did. Keep calm and carry on was a fantastic slogan. And, you know, people all coming together. This is a tiny island surrounded by water, huge mm-hmm. water ocean water to quote my (laughs) favorite world leader apparently at at the moment i'm being sarcastic but this is a tiny island people banded together they were being bombed they were throwing cans at nazis like yeah i mean it's a much more recent and traumatic thing for them i think whereas for us i mean certainly we were born in the 80s you and i so it seems like ancient history but let's not forget our grandparents were alive during that time oh i mean both of my grandfathers fought in that war Mm -hmm. um I was not allowed to play with my toy snakes in front of my maternal grandfather. Was he Indiana Jones? Sorry. <laughs> well, no. He Well, yes, he was Indiana Jones, but he was in New Guinea and PTSD wasn't a thing. So it was just casually like, grandpa's still afraid of snakes. Oh. And we all just accept it. You know, it was, it wow. was you know, that, that sort of thing. But I think that there's a certain ownership they have over the whole thing and, and defeating these, these Nazis that then yeah. makes it... It's not going to be easy to look at at the war for for plenty of people, but maybe easier to make fun of the definite evil fucking losers. Yeah, and it it goes back to the idea of comedy being something that can relieve tension and using humor as a way of understanding the world and making things not scary is sort of like, you know, defanging or uncloaking the boogeyman in a way by making Nazis who are sort of the ultimate bad guys in history, according to most people who have any goddamn sense, uh, by making them ridiculous or silly, it uh, it neuters them, you know? Which might also be sort of easy to do because if you look at Britain, I mean, let's let's take Brexit out of the entire thing and let's let's, let's all just pretend that it's 2015 forever. Okay, cool. Um, so that they do get to have their their identity as British, but they also are are part of Europe. But it but Europe is a completely different thing, and everybody speaks different languages and have has has funny accents, and you know their streets are very clean. I, I think that because of their proximity to the continent. They also get to make fun of Europeans, and Hitler is always going to also be European on top of being a Nazi. So it's sort of a double Mm -hmm. whammy of things that Brits make fun of very well because they have a better understanding of. Yeah. Do Do you think maybe that's part of it too? Because I feel like the uniform is something and the mustache and the stupid hair and the, yeah. the the accent is something that they they go after. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just can't think of like an American mainstream comedy. I mean, there there are certain there are like some Hitler jokes on The Simpsons or South Park or or Family Guy, but like a live action, like I can't imagine someone making a Hitler joke on Friends and it not causing a national stir. I just, you know, you can't imagine like Joey showing up in a Nazi uniform because he's cast as a Nazi in a play. That just that would not happen. But it'd be great. I mean, I'd watch that episode. I'd watch that band episode. The irony is that 
there's there's total Nazis and we as Americans, it's like we're so polite to them. We don't even want to call them Nazis. We call them white nationalists. Ugh, I hate the world. Now can we talk about Rockahula Ted? Yes. Oh, please, let's. Let's let's get the hell away from Nazis and all that fucking bullshit and escape back into, yeah, go, go for Although, it. Although I have to say, I really enjoyed that. That was a rip-roaring conversation about fucking Nazis. <laughs> not, not fucking Nazis, like a verb as an adjective. My friend Dan's older brother accidentally fucked a Nazi. Oh no, maybe he's also Indiana Jones. <laughs> you know so many Indiana Jones. Well, in yeah. Life. Anyway, uh, I will get the details from Dan. It was one of those, oh, should have asked 20 minutes ago sort of things. Um, <laughs> uh, wait, 20 minutes ago? Did she like shout Heil Hitler when she climaxed? What the f- How did that come out? I-, I think it was something akin to that. Wow. No, okay, no. She didn't shout Heil Hitler as she climaxed, but I double dog dare you. <laughs> no, it was something awkward. Like there was, maybe there was just um, paraphernalia that, that he didn't notice. I, I don't know if it if it was a swastika or a confederate flag i know those two aren't the same thing exactly they're they bespeak the same shitty worldview you know what okay rockahula ted oh yeah rockahula ted is one of my favorite episodes was rockahula ted always one of your favorite episodes i don't believe it was no the ones that were my favorite as a teen which are still my favorites are a song for europe the plague and cigarettes and alcohol and rollerblading but i've added a few to this list oh completely rockahula ted that was something that you know I saw long ago, and perhaps you were a little bit more progressive than I was in this regard, but I was not identifying as a feminist. I claimed that term early, back when it was like really considered a, a dirty word. You were ahead of your time. You might have been the only feminist I knew, except I don't think that you actually even really spoke the word to me until we were both on that same wavelength. It, it was like I was a feminist and I didn't know it. I think that happens with a lot of women. Because it was a dirty thing to be, and especially when... I myself was already an insecure 16-year-old or 15-year-old with, you know, no idea of what was going on in the world at large. I just wanted boys to like me. I gave up on that so long ago that I embraced feminism. And, uh, <laughs> if you can't join him, beat him. You know, so I, I wasn't looking at Rockahula Ted as any sort of um, real critique of anything. I was, I was looking at Rockahula Ted as just an episode of Father Ted that I enjoyed. But, but I was not nearly as bowled over by it as I was when I watched it yesterday. Oh it's my God. So, it's so brilliant. In the same way that all of the, the racial insensitivity is satirized so beautifully and Are You Right There, Father Ted? This just does such a good job of poking gentle fun at a certain kind of feminist, not even feminist, because it's not a critique of feminism in the sense that it's not a critique of her viewpoint that women should be equal and are not treated as such in modern society. It's more a spoof of a certain kind of misinformed or uninformed celebrity. I mean, certainly you're going to talk about uh, Sinead O'Connor and the the specific controversies that that inspired this episode. But also, like, you think about the Jenny McCarthy's who are anti-vaxxers and going on these ridiculous crusades based on nothing. Or, like, Gwyneth Paltrow as, uh, you know, a self-styled lifestyle guru who's leading women down all these really harmful and fucking stupid paths. And I think that celebrities do have a sort of obligation i think to use their platform for good like you know if if you don't if you didn't endorse hillary clinton basically in 2016 fuck you famous person but when you're coming at it from a place of such 
like blatant ignorance, it's certainly a ripe topic for satire. Absolutely. And that's not to say that Sinead O'Connor hasn't done a lot of really fucking awesome things. Oh, certainly. But, you know, at the very beginning when we meet Neve Connolly, Ted and Dougal are watching her being interviewed on on an Irish TV show. And what Neve says is... The church in Ireland secretly had lots of potatoes during the famine and they hid the potatoes <laughs> in the pillows and sold them abroad at potato fairs. Uh, really? <laughs> and the Pope closed down a lot of the factories that were making the potatoes and turned them into prisons for children. God almighty! She says that as if there was something sinister about her at all. I mean, what is the problem with her? perfect response that's already such a good line but then to have which that is, which is just brilliant oh, it's a joke on a joke when it works is mwah. that is so fucking good so it's it's not to say that there aren't plenty of things that the catholic church needs to be called out for doing but if something that's made up becomes a crusade that that you're on i think that you've got to be held accountable for that even though you know the the church is powerful and and all this and you're you're just a person who made a mistake but <laughs> what they are actually satirizing here is something Sinead O'Connor said in 1994, there was no famine. Irish people were only allowed to eat potatoes. All of the other food, meat, fish, vegetables, were shipped out of the country under armed guards to England while the Irish people starved. So they brilliantly used that on the show. And what you were saying about Neve being kind of a cipher for radical feminism, but also just for ill-informed liberal celebrities. I love at the very end, I know we're jumping to the end, but the very end when she's out with the winner of the Lovely Girls contest and Mrs. Doyle, and she says, you know, Mrs. Doyle gets one night off a week. Neve is the person who made that possible for Mrs. Doyle. Right. But then Mrs. Doyle just goes to eat a piece of her dinner and Neve yells, is that meat? <laughs> and I, I feel like that's just kind of so true. Like you brought up Jenny McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy thinks that a gluten-free diet cured her son of autism. Mm, girl, read a book. So, you know, while there is plenty of, of good that, you know, people with a platform and with money can do with, with their voice when they are informed, there's also so much shame that gets thrown around. Is that meat? You know, is that gluten? Yeah. You know, uh, Gwyneth, you mean you don't steam your vagina? You know, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, there's also shame within that, you know, kind of neoliberal we've got to be paleo and be barefoot thing that just makes yeah. us all feel crappy. Don't don't ruin Mrs. Doyle's night off. Let yeah. her eat the meat. That episode also, there's so many great little things that, again, they don't celebrate sexism or reinforce sexism. They display it. Like when Father Ted asks Mrs. Doyle, you don't feel ignored by the Catholic Church as a woman, do you? And then she, she says, oh, no, Father, I've always found them very responsive to my needs. And while she's responding and pouring her heart out, you know, Ted and Dougal get up and uh, they get themselves some chips or whatever and are completely ignoring her. So that's great. And oh, my God, the lovely girl contest the lovely girls contest i feel like is kind of the perfect um bookend we've got the radical rock star modern woman feminist and then we've got this absolutely terrible caricature of the fucking patriarchy where they're parading them in front of cones and having them walk like it's a fucking dog show it's it's genius because it it's just like a regular beauty contest where they're walking in heels in a bikini and, you know, singing a song or something. It's such a ridiculous institution that we completely take for granted is something that exists. But it it's just 
real life turned up ever so slightly to point out the absurdity uh, in the same way that like the Hunger Games is totally the world that we live in. It's just it's capitalism. Uh, but by exaggerating it ever so slightly, we realize, oh, holy shit, this actually is a really fucked up system. And by, by having that lens to view it through, you realize what's wrong with your own world. Well, there are three things that I think that need to be pointed out about the Lovely Girls contest in particular is that Ted is invited to judge it to, quote, eliminate any sexual aspect mm -hmm. because there is that you know this effing weird vow of celibacy i'm a man i've vowed to be celibate i come from an organization that has molested children my presence is going to eliminate the sexual aspect because the women themselves are not going to bring sexuality it's my presence that's going to deem this sexual i thought that was kind of interesting yeah, and also it just it sort of calls out the whole bullshit of beauty contests in general is that if you really want to eliminate the sexual aspect, maybe have a straight woman judge it. But that would never happen because because the whole idea is that women exist for men and our beauty exists for men, not only to enjoy, but to appraise and to bestow upon us. For example, how many times have you been on OkCupid or walking down the street and someone tells you that you're attractive and then uh, you either don't respond or you respond in some way that, and then they're like, oh, fuck you, bitch, you're actually fat and ugly. You know, or if you, uh, there's been a lot of women who have started saying, yes, I know. And then they're like, oh, no, it, they, they get really upset that it's not a compliment that can only be bestowed by men, that they are not the be all end all arbiters of female attractiveness. And I, I like that you bring that up because the other thing I wanted to mention, it absolutely piggybacks what you just said because when a man gives you a compliment it's it's the ultimate compliment even if the compliment is something you you didn't want and has freaked you out a little bit but it's when he says that one of the girls has a lovely bottom and yes. the other priest judge says you don't want to offend the girls and ted says of course they all have lovely bottoms yep 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 it's so because good because the problem is not that he brought up their bottoms at all the problem is that he only complimented one oh to be polite i'm gonna talk about all their bottoms collectively yeah it's it's so funny and that's actually something that i that i'm really bothered by is like i don't know like dove real beauty campaigns or the idea that like oh all women are beautiful like no all women are smart and competent and powerful whatever like i don't i really hate that beautiful is considered the ultimate measure of a woman's value even now fuck beautiful i don't want to be beautiful i want to be interesting and smart and funny and i like to think i am do you know how many stupid fucking ex-boyfriends of mine have told me that I hide behind my humor because I don't know I'm beautiful? Uh, More than fucking one. You don't know you're beautiful. I mean, I fucking love One Direction, but I hated them for a long time because I hate that song. I was just like, you know what? You can think I'm beautiful all you want. You're my boyfriend. I'm hilarious too. Why can't I be both? It's not a dichotomy, guys. Women can have more than one trait. I think that one of the most brilliantly written jokes in this episode and maybe in the entire series, it's so modern to me and I feel like I could have read it on Jezebel or the hairpin or the toast or bustle or any <laughs> any of like the modern um, sort of more, more feminist online publications that do a really or, or often do a good job of, of satirizing this whole thing. This is a line that I did not notice when I was a kid and it doesn't even have that huge of a laugh now, but I think it's way ahead of his time. Dougal says, I wouldn't even know what to say to a lovely girl. And Ted says, you can ask them what their father does for a living. If they have a boyfriend, dresses, anything to do with clothes and perfume, basically, 
Clothes is easiest because men wear clothes. We don't wear perfume. Yeah, that's very like reductress worthy. <laughs> Isn't it? Because it's like, I wouldn't know what to say to a lovely girl. Oh, put her in the context of men. Mm -hmm. Ask about their fathers and their boyfriends and their clothes because men wear clothes. Yeah, and again, and this is this is all coming through the mouth of the Catholic Church. And this goes back to something, a, a quote from John Cleese in the last episode about how there's two ways to criticize an idea. One is to do it directly and one is to put the words in the mouth of a character who's ridiculous. And every single character on this show is so ridiculous. And because it's coming from these ridiculous characters and from the voices of the Catholic Church, obviously the church is the thing that's being skewered. So I'm not I'm not offended by any of this stuff. I think that it's brilliant. No, because for as ridiculous as, as Neve can sort of appear, especially at the beginning when she's singing her arguably pretty stupid song about big men in frocks. <laughs> um, yes. At the end of the so they really haven't accused women of doing anything, but they have called out 10 million pedophile priests. Yeah, there's there's so much good stuff about uh, calling out hypocrisy in this world. Uh, I want to talk about the O'Learys, the, the couple that's always fighting. Yeah. And the hypocrisy of wanting to save faith, of being just absolutely horrible to each other, but wanting to appear good and virtuous and like everything's fine in front of a member of the clergy is so good because it goes back to the idea that you, you know, you don't actually have to be a good person. You just have to tick the right boxes in your in your religion. And also, obviously, this is a couple that badly needs to be divorced and the Catholic Church won't allow that. So like if you would just let them go their separate ways, they could maybe lead very happy, fulfilled lives. But instead, they are chained together by this really archaic notion that that marriage is forever. And in their case, it really shouldn't be like one of them will one day kill the other one. It's anybody's bet which way it goes. I was never really made that uncomfortable by the physical violence depicted between the two of them, except for when John locked Mary in a cupboard. That that felt uncomfortable to me. I think it was also the last time we really see them. But, oh, um, so it could be forever. So it, that could have been forever. But yeah, obviously, I, I mean, Ted's betting on a horse called divorce referendum, which is just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But yeah, no, no birth control, no abortion, no divorce. It's like, okay, Cool. Yeah, I like that Ted also will frequently, sort of like how Dougal will state these very big qualms that he has about the logic of his Catholic faith. I think that Ted will similarly sort of walk back from these Catholic tenets, like uh, like in, I, we should talk about A Song for Europe, because I know that that was one of our favorites growing up, and still is, uh, when he meets the presenter who's gay, and then he says, oh, I thought that the Catholic Church didn't believe in that kind of thing. He said, oh, well, you know, the Pope can change his mind, whatever. It, we don't take it that seriously. And he says, what about papal infallibility? Oh, well, you know, he, he just... He'll say whatever is the right thing in the moment to get out of the situation. He should have just said that would be an ecumenical matter. <laughs> yeah, it's the quote is it's it's like how sometimes the Pope says things that, that he doesn't, doesn't mean. really mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about how um it is this show about priests, you know, behind the scenes, but because of that, you sort of also get to incorporate that it's just a show about these guys who don't like their jobs. Yeah. Which which we get plenty of, like with the IT crowd and black books. Father Dead is is one of them. They're they're, they're priests. And we, we look at that as, you know, this 
you know, the, the, this holy institution, which, which it is, but we, we get to peek behind all of that and go, yeah, they're just a couple of schlubby Joes who don't know what they're doing, just like everybody else. Yeah, I feel like I feel like with Duel, it was probably like someone just said, hey, do you want to be a priest? And he was like, oh, sure. Like, that would be a very easy, I, I get how he could be accidentally lured into something like that. But what the hell? Ted doesn't care about any of this. And, and Jack, everything that they value is so antithetical to everything about the church. In the very first season, they do quickly mention little things about these guys' families. And Ted does have an older brother who's a doctor. And they make the right, joke about that. how the idiot son becomes the priest. Are those the only two professions in Ireland? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I've never been to Ireland. My friend Dan, whose brother accidentally slept with a Nazi, just to kind of remind everybody who Dan is, um, he did get to travel to Ireland a couple of years ago. And an older Irishman was talking about the troubles with the Catholic Church. And he did say that because the religion is, is so prevalent and such an integrated part of, of growing up, um, there is sort of the idea of, oh, but wouldn't it be lovely to have a priest in the family? Got it, got it. So so it is a profession that people grow up considering as opposed to no, mm -hmm. not here. Do you want to talk about our other favorite episodes? Well, can we talk about the plague a little bit more? Oh, yes, yes. The plague, that was the first episode that you showed me. And I think that it's such a perfect introduction to the show because uh, this past week was the first time that I watched every single episode in order. And the plague works perfectly well as a pilot. You get exactly who these characters are. Everyone is in their top form. You know, you've got Jack wandering around the woods naked. You've got Dougal being completely stupid and all the and the, the rabbits are so adorable. You've got Bishop Brennan, who is a very important figure who actually doesn't show up in that many episodes, but he his shadow looms so large that he feels like he's a bigger presence. He's in three episodes and they are three of the best Absolutely. episodes. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I love Bishop Brennan. And uh, the whole every single beat of it is so perfect the payoff at the end just a bad dream your grace you can see the influences where they said that they wanted it to be farcical like faulty towers because i think that that episode in particular absolutely achieves that i'm glad that you brought up faulty towers because ted throwing himself down the stairs is very much sort of an echo <laughs> of basil beating himself up during the waldorf oh, yeah. salad episode no oh my it's God, so I'm actually true. down the stairs yeah yeah risking incredible bodily harm in order to avoid mild embarrassment uh, i mean i guess in this case it would be more than mild embarrassment i also think that it's not to be ignored the brilliance of having it be rabbits because it would not be as funny if it were dogs cats or mice but it's hilarious that the rabbit just finds a way to asexually breed with itself because you know yes there is the phrase you know to to mate like rabbits or to screw like rabbits i haven't actually googled any science behind that but it is kind of an accepted <laughs> metaphor but only on craggy island does that then mean that they can asexually reproduce well maybe the one that he got at first was already pregnant. Yes, but that doesn't mean that it becomes a fully formed rabbit within hours. <laughs> we don't understand how time works on Craggy Island. Maybe it's like Narnia or something. Nobody does. But And, and then, you know, who is afraid of rabbits? Come on, people can be afraid of dogs, rats. Cats can, you know, be problematic with the scratching and stuff. But I love that the story of Bishop Brennan being mortally terrified of rabbits is because they once burrowed into a lift he was in in New York and started, quote, nibbling at my cage and everything. It's so funny. And also, I think Bishop Brendan is probably the greatest villain on this show. But 
but seeing him in this context, when you see the genuine fear in his face talking about rabbits, it really does humanize him and make you love him. Same thing with, oh, can we talk about kicking Bishop Brennan up the arse, which is not one of my favorite episodes, but it might be my favorite episode title of any show ever. It's like, it's so ridiculous. And it's like snakes on a plane in its simplicity and its beauty. It's, uh, I just saw it because I don't know, I, I hadn't seen it in so long. And when I saw the, the episode title coming up and playing next, it just made me laugh out loud. And uh, and his his look of shock when he's, you know, been gaslighted into believing that he hadn't been kicked up the ass. Again, it, it's, he's like a scared little boy. So even though he's this terrifying monster in so many ways, and when he's like, he's got his cape running at him, it's so, that's a great image. But it, it really does, you, you love everybody in this universe, even the ones that you hate. I fucking love Bishop Brennan so he's, much. He's so and good. Kicking Bishop up the ass is actually a really special episode because it's the one time that it's a to be continued. Oh, yeah. Because it, it partners with Escape from Victory. And I remember getting to see those back to back when I would watch the show every week. And I I truly thought like I was going to die. It's just the playfulness of watching the elderly priests play football mm -hmm. and then, you know, to be continued. And they do that brilliant job of previously on Father Ted where they introduce the shaky camera for the recap of, mm -hmm. of the episode. But um, <laughs> Bishop Brennan has that line where he's completely serious and he's screaming and he says, Don't try my patience! Billy, you kick me up the ass. Try to deny it, and I will have you fed to the dogs. Like, how do you write that? That that is like something that that a kid would come up with, but it's so <laughs> dang good and it's so funny when it comes out of um, a grown man's mouth. Yeah. Jim Norton, by the way, I'm sure you heard him mention in the documentary that he still say. never watched that episode. Oh, that broke my heart. He was so serious about it. He's like, oh, I've, I've been near it. I've seen it. I've seen posters of it. I know that it's been on planes when I've been flying, but mm. I can't watch it. It's too painful because yeah. something that we haven't mentioned yet oh. is that Dermot Morgan is no longer with us. He died tw like less than 24 hours after finishing filming the final episode, which is so heartbreaking. Uh, and it gives the final episode kind of an eeriness that I don't um, sit comfortably with. I don't know about you. No, I don't. I don't revisit that one very often. It's, I think also that final montage makes me so sad because you're very aware that what you're watching is in the past. Obviously, we're watching a show from the 90s where now half of the main cast is dead. And can we just say that this is too recent a show for half of the main cast to already be dead? It, it's so, it makes me so sad. And it, it's, it's such a bittersweet thing to revisit at this point. But yeah, obviously, you're already aware that you're watching something that's from the past. But but within the world of an episode, it's new. It's happening now. And the fact that you're watching this montage of these things that have happened from the, the previous three years, you're just aware of like, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to be together forever and ever and ever. But like, there is no more. That's it. You're just using footage that, that already happened a long time ago. And and Father Ted is dead. And it's it, it really makes me so sad. I don't think I'm ever going to watch that episode again now that we've watched it for this. There's no reason to ever watch it again. And I think that one of them is that, you know, you're watching it. The elephant in the room is that this was Dermot's final thing that he ever did in his oh, life. Yeah. And the episode is about Father Ted leaving. Yeah. And so it, it becomes this metaphor for Father Ted saying goodbye no, to everybody. But did you read about how that wasn't supposed to be the ending? I think I, I, I remember you telling me this at the time. 
You know, I read this years ago and I did not research it again. So I'm going to say here and now that this is based on something I read in, you know, 2002 or three, but we've got the suicidal priest throughout the entire episode mm -hmm. and they spend a long time on it and it kind of becomes a theme. And I did read years ago that in the episode when Ted realizes that the opportunity in America is not what he thought it was going to be and that he's going to be stuck on Craggy Island for the rest of his life, there is a gag about him then ending up on the roof ready to jump. Right. And because of what ended up happening and all these very decent Irish people who loved each other very much, you know, learning this, they were like, oh, okay, that can't be the end. That's absolutely too disgusting. So yeah. they included the montage and you'll notice that you don't see them again. It's just old footage and then good night, Ted. Good night, Dougal, while they're off screen. Yeah. I understand why they changed it and I respect their decision. I just wish that they could have come up with a better... I mean, I understand that the suicide thing would have been perhaps in poorer taste, but uh, I don't know. All that found footage just really breaks my heart. Really? Okay, see, I thought the montage worked really well because it is a moment from every single episode. Oh, really? Oh, maybe I do need to revisit yeah, it. Yeah, it is kind of a decent achievement in as far as montages go. I'm not saying that it's not well done. I'm saying that it has an emotional effect on me that I am not comfortable with. Probably in the same vein as Jim Norton isn't comfortable watching Kicking Bishop Brennan up the arse. Obviously, it's less personal for me than it is for him. But it's just it's just too sad. I mean, they almost couldn't have aired it. But then what? Would Night of the Nearly Dead be the finale? I, I wouldn't want that. Oh, no. And that title, too, because he was also nearly dead. And another thing that I thought about is in the very first episode... When he goes to have the his tarot read, and and there's three there's three death cards, and she says, "This is really weird. There's only supposed to be one in each deck," and that also just feels so so tragically prescient. Oh, it's it's hard not to to layer it over. And then there's that other uh, that that bishop who has a problem with his heart. They're, they mention heart attacks. There's just there's a lot of little hints of death kind of strung throughout the series. And if you're if you're looking for them, it's easy to get bummed out. But I don't. I, I want for me ultimately watching Father Ted any episode at any time is an ultimately joyful experience. So you just kind of have to push that aside in order to not be depressed well when frank kelly died oh. in 2016 at an arguably more appropriate age than 45 i probably hadn't watched father ted in maybe a year but it was so soon after david bowie's death and it, it sort of snuck up on me like god dang it he is one of the people who has shaped me into the person I am today. Oh, yeah. And and you, it's like I don't wake up every morning thinking about Frank Kelly necessarily, but Father Jack is one of the greatest characters I've ever seen in anything. It's genius. It's not simple. It's genius. Father Jack is Keith Richards <laughs> and a priest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would tattoo drink our sweat girls on my fucking fingers. Do it. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Let's do it when we're in London. All right. You're on. You'll watch. <laughs> no, I won't. I don't like needles. But um, I could just draw it on my fingers. That, that's fair. Yeah. Pen works. Um, Yeah, I know that. And then also, we didn't mention this last week because we were having so much fun talking about Faulty Towers, but Andrew Sachs also died very recently. And that's another just really iconic. All of our childhood comedy heroes are just... Dropping like flies. It's it's sad. 
Oh, there's shows I love. And then there's shows that I feel are just a part of my life as if they were actually real places that existed and real people that I visit when I when I watch the show. 100%. And I feel like I grew up in the parochial house in a way, <laughs> which would be traumatizing as fuck. But you learn the language in it and it becomes a part of you. And um, yeah. we, obviously we talked about this with Faulty Towers as well. Yeah. And so many people, especially in Ireland, definitely feel that way about this show. Oh, it's, yeah. it's so it's part of our, you know, DNA, our fabric of our of our personalities. I know. <laughs> can we talk about my lovely horse and lift our spirits just a little yes. bit? Yes. Okay. Uh, can I just say I I actually recently bought a my lovely horse shirt on Redbubble. I see if anybody cool exists in New York City to be like, oh hey, good. <laughs> I want to take you to the horse dentist. <laughs> you know when when I had the the season two. DVD, you know, when I no longer needed to just wait around for Father Ted to be on BBC America. I kind of feel like once that DVD arrived, my watching of the show and its completion was kind of put on hold because I wanted to bring everybody else up to speed. Mm -hmm. So I watched again and again, The Plague, Cigarettes, Alcohol and Rollerblading. Shout out to New Jack City. I think that that's definitely on my on my list of favorites as well. So that yeah, I think I I don't want to say discovered because it was there right in front of me and I was going to watch it eventually. But yes. it was a Friday afternoon. Everybody was out. I think we had a comedy sports game later that night. Nice. But I thought, oh, what am I going to do in my spare time? <laughs> I'm going to put on Father Ted. I've got the house to myself. Let's do something incredible. And <laughs> I was like, oh, there's an episode I haven't seen. And it's one thing to discover, oh, there's an episode I haven't seen. But when the episode is, is a song episode? for you. <laughs> Because I still remember you had already introduced me to a bunch of episodes and then like you were like, no, now there's this one. <laughs> Stepping it up. Next level shit. Take this lump of sugar, baby. You know you want it. And that that uh, dream music video, there's so much that's just feckin' wonderful about it. I giggled like an idiot when I watched that the other night. And there's... Oh. There's things that you love in your life, but you've seen it so many times that when you see it for the millionth and second time, you're you're going to smile. But this took me back. Oh yeah, same thing with um with cigarettes and alcohol and rollerblading. That's another episode that for me is perfect. You know, we've all seen the trope of someone really hungry seeing you know their POV where someone looks like a big old pork chop or something, and for them to do the cigarettes and then the the big glass of beer and then oh my god the when you see him as a roller skate that's so funny oh and i wanted to <laughs> did you happen to watch any of these with subtitles no i i never did some of the subtitles on amazon prime which is how i watched this are wrong and <laughs> like really hilariously wrong um like one example is uh at the beginning of season three when Ted comes back and Dougal opens the door and says, Ted, very excitedly, it says, Dad. <laughs> so that makes it very different. But my favorite, 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 this is something that happens in multiple episodes, is um, in Cigarettes and Alcohol and Rollerblading, when they're having their breakfast of a, a bowl of water, uh, Ted says, all right, all right, having a bit of a laugh with the big thickos from the island. Uh, thickos, of course, being slang for one who is thick, i.e. dense, stupid, an idiot. Uh, can you guess what word Amazon thought thickos was? Tickles? It was pickles. <laughs> the big pickles from the island. And, and they use that word in multiple episodes, and every time it's pickles. Big <laughs> pickles. I just lost it. It was so funny. 
You big pickle. Is it the intro to the plague or is it cigarettes and alcohol where they have Father Ben? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he says, I know someone exactly like Ben, big They probably said big pickle. I love the Father Ben intro. I love the stupid Dougal character coming in and just going, oh, Ben, I am such an Egypt. Mm -hmm. I put the shorts on my head. I think another little moment that's actually really nice and different is the intro to the incredibly named The Passion of St. Tibulus. I love the Cuban priest in the beginning that's joining them for a game of Cluedo. And I love (laughs) that they all seem to understand Spanish, but they do not speak it. And it's just really fun to see anybody else kind of interacting with them because I think that Father Hernandez is actually the most pleasant priest um, because every other priest they kind of have to interact with is annoying or grating in in some way. Oh, we haven't even talked about Graham Norton. I just want to quickly say I love Graham Norton and he's such a baby on this. He's so young. He's so cute. He's he's adorable. Oh, and that actually reminds me a little factoid. But I I learned a few years ago from the back of the DVD on on the testimonials, you know, um, the Irish examiner calls Father Ted the funniest goddamn Irish show ever. But one of the testimonials was from Cher. (laughs) And the quote was just, Father Ted is the most hysterical thing on the planet. And she was on the Graham Norton show just a few years ago and she was on the on the couch with everybody else and Graham Norton was saying something self-deprecating about a performance that he gave in some other movie or TV show I'm not positive and how he's a whatever kind of actor and Cher just says oh well they didn't see you in Father Ted and I just love the idea of Cher cozying up in her mansion and putting on Father Ted oh yeah I think that's so sweet that's that's really delightful The Passion of St. Tibulus where a blasphemous film that the holiness has has banned but apparently somehow it's screening on Craggy <laughs> Island and the the protest that Ted and Dougal stage accidentally ends up being an advertisement for the film that everybody so then good. rushes to see and that's the thing about controversy is pretty much the best advertisement that you can get and it shows how completely ineffectual it is for religious authorities to take a stance against these things I love when that guy comes up to them and says oh is it just sort of nudie thing father and then he says oh nothing's left to the imagination and then he goes straight into the theater to buy a ticket and of their course. protest signs down with this sort of thing careful, careful now. now it's oh so good there are also many shirts with those I want one well they're 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 so bummed out about it like they they screen the movie so that they know what they're protesting which is more informed than a lot of people are when they take a stance against oh absolutely but while they don't like the movie they also aren't that wildly offended by it down with this sort of thing careful now like they're so bummed out that they have to go do this protest I love that. No, it's really good. Do you remember the bit where St. Tibulus tried to take that banana off oh, of that other lad? Wait, did you look up did you look up Father Ted porn? I did. All right, lay it on me. Well, quick quick little thing. A few weeks ago, you you very kindly pointed out to me, Steph, I don't think you should look for young ones porn because I don't want you to type those words into Google. <laughs> And you're yes. right. I am not going to do that because I don't want to end up on a freaking government list of some kind. But I was also nervous about typing father and porn into the same search. Interesting. I, I was worried about doing it because something told me because of the world we live in, it wasn't going to take me to a bunch of sexy dilfs having sex. It would probably take me to something not nice. I mean, it wouldn't be your own dad. What? 
there's nothing going on. I know it's not my own dad. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, but I think I think that there um in fact I know that there are videos out there where the kink is like insist. She's the yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, and I was right. like, I don't I don't wanna give that any- What about Father Dougal porn? Surely we all want to see that. Am I right? You know, I didn't type Father Dougal porn because I just kind of knew that was even more of a stretch. All right. Plus, I knew it wouldn't be Dougal. Well, I mean, that's the problem with porn parodies in general. You're not. It's rare to get the actual actors themselves to agree. Okay, I know, but it, but it, but it, it, <laughs> it would be one thing to have a Father Ted porn parody that just devolves into gross porn. But I wanted to see that parochial house set, you oh, yeah. know. But if it's just Father Dougal porn and it's a dude masturbating, going, "Oh, I'm an Egypt," that would just be disgusting. <laughs> Shorts on me head. My big pickle. <laughs> oh god, I'm dying. Traumatized me. I wouldn't like that at all. But uh, so, uh, all right. I typed it. Typed it, and um, it's nothing except there was there was a hit, and I saw that it was on YouTube, so I knew it wasn't going to be real. But it was titled Pat Mustard Porn, and I went, oh, that that makes sense. I wonder if this is a trailer and it's going to give me the link. Uh, no, it was just kind of one of those weird YouTube poop things. It was just a bunch of different clips. I I have no idea. Do we want to do Feck, Mary Kill? Let's do Feck, Mary Kill. Fantastic. Um, I think you have to kill Jack, much as I love him. First of all, it's the three priests, right? We're not including Mrs. Doyle. But yeah, the, the three priests. Okay, you go first. Um, Kill Jack... I think, certainly as a kid, I would have chosen Mary Dougal because ugh, I know you and I had such a crush on him. Uh, and that kind of persists to this day. I definitely... Totally. You had mentioned that we made bracelets in our little Britcom club. I, I definitely had like an I... I don't remember if it was I Heart Dougal or I Heart Ardalo Hanlon. Maybe it was both. I don't know. But yeah, I, I've sort of come around on that because Dougal is actually too stupid to be a good partner. But on the other hand... I think that Ted is so unhappy. I mean, I I love the character of Ted, but I wouldn't want to be married to him because I think that it would be up to me to make him happy because he's so unhappy with his lot in life. He's sort of always complaining and feels like he deserves to be somewhere else doing something better. And like, I want to be the depressed person in a relationship. Whereas I feel like with, with Dougal, it would just, he'd be, it would just be like having a dog, but a human. So I'd, I'd probably uh, feck Ted, kill Jack, marry Dougal. Okay. Now, I will point out one real quick thing. Ted's big dream is to go to Las Vegas, right? Yeah, I don't want to live in Las Vegas. Exactly. But in Las Vegas, you would be the depressed person. Uh, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. But like... No, he, he could be like the Elvis impersonating priest that marries people at chapels. Oh, that's funny. I think that Dougal is definitely more pure of heart and more of a a ray of sunshine whereas ted i mean he obviously cares about dual to some extent but he wouldn't i think that when he's happy he's so self-involved that he wouldn't necessarily think to make his wife happy and i think that also he's he's we see him be a lot more sexist whereas dougal's just sort of afraid of women because he hasn't talked to them very much but uh but yeah i definitely i wouldn't want to marry ted so you say feck ted marry dougal kill jack Yep, that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, because your only chance of having any sex would be with Ted. Yeah. And you would choose a sexless marriage over marrying Ted. Yeah. 
Okay. I don't think you have a bad point on that. And it would probably be easier to step out on Dougal than to step out on Ted. Mm -hmm. But it it pretty much comes down to who am I going to kill and who am I going to marry? Because I'm going to affect Ted. You would marry Jack? Look, if we're talking about a loveless marriage where I don't have to perform wifely duties. Bringing him his drink and like locking him up at night so that he doesn't go on nude sleepwalks might be a wifely duty. (laughs) I think he's sort of more high maintenance than Dougal. You have to bathe Dougal. Yeah, but you have to bathe Jack too, and that's a much dirtier job. Hmm. You could you could make the bathing of Dougal kind of sexy. I don't know. I guess, but you know what? If Dougal were to become aroused, I would feel like a pervert. All right, fair enough. Because I'd feel like his mom. That's the thing. It's like, do I do I marry Dougal and feel like his mom, even though I'm attracted to him, and then the whole thing is just horrible <laughs> for me? Or do I do I marry Jack and have to just kind of like leave food and whiskey <laughs> out for long enough and then he eventually gets himself killed? Wow. What choices? These these are the things that women have to think about before they choose a life partner. <laughs> At the end of the day, which one is more likely to punch me? Yep. It's Jack. So yep. I have to kill Jack. All right. All right. Yep, same answer then as you. Okay, wait, going back to because we didn't include Mrs. Doyle in this equation. What where is Mr. Doyle? He must be dead, no? Because she she lives there all the time. Yeah, I'm sure that, that he is dead. But like, what what was that marriage like? Clearly not a happy one. God, I'm glad I never think of that type of thing, Father. That whole sexual world. God, when you think of it, it's a dirty, filthy thing, isn't it, Father? <laughs> Can you imagine, Father, looking up at your husband and him standing over you with his lead in his hand, wanting you to degrade yourself? God Almighty, can you imagine that, Father? Can you picture it there, Father? Oh, get a good mental picture. Oh, I've got a good mental picture, Mrs. Doyle. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, God. Mrs. Doyle is great, and I think that thanks to Mrs. Doyle, stay with me, if you were to make a drinking game, you could also play it with a teetotaler, because they would have to drink tea every time Mrs. Doyle offered it. <laughs> That's true. You you raise a good point. Uh and also that sounds completely amazing and I would totally play that with you next time we're in the same town cuz uh I am a teetotaler and I love tea and uh, I love this show. Yes. And I think that it might be a show that's easy to um, not call unintelligent or say that it's not as good. But when you have an episode about, you know, oh, bunnies invaded the house, Mm -hmm. it it might be kind of easy to misremember it as just being more childish and whimsical than really kind of a hard hitting satire and, and social commentary. Oh, yeah. But all of that's there. Absolutely. It's whip smart. Yeah, I, I was delighted to revisit it and go, oh, shit, this is a hard hitting show that happens to have an episode about bunnies. It reminds me of a quote from Stephen Sondheim when he was describing one of his musicals, A Little Night Music, how on the surface, it's very frothy, but underneath there's, you know, there, there's something uh, sort of dangerous about it. And he described it as being like whipped cream with knives. And I think that's absolutely what this is. You've got the whipped cream, you've got the the silly, stupid priest with his boxers on his head and the bunnies everywhere and drink our spec girls and lots of, you know, comedy that can be enjoyed by young children. But then if you're really listening, they're saying a lot of really subversive, clever, smart stuff. Yeah. Whipped cream with knives, man. Well, well, the danger of satire is that if it's not done right, it's just 
the way things are. Shittiness. Shittiness. Like, you know, Archie Bunker was meant to be a satirical character, but he was too lovable to be angry at. And he just kind of became a conservative person that we all forgive because sure, we like him. A didn't become or... a conservative person that we can laugh at and learn from. We forgave him every racist and sexist thing that he said because he had too much humanity. Mm. And that's not to say that Ted and Dougal don't have humanity, but they don't try to sugarcoat Ted's amorality. Absolutely. I mean, we, we said earlier that they even humanize the bishop, but we don't forgive him for his many sins, both literal and no, just no, no, moral. No, 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 no. No, we don't forgive him of his many sins and we're we're still afraid of him and we know that it's not going to be good that Ted has to kick him up the arse. <laughs> God, I love that image. That 10 by 10. One of the highlights of my life was um, <laughs> I got to see you uh, briefly when I went to New York with a friend and we saw the James Franco production of Mice and Men, but we were mostly there to celebrate Chris O'Dowd. And I was looking through the program before the show started and I was like, that's Bishop Brennan. <laughs> and we yelled Father at him and he smiled <laughs> i mean not during the show that would have been rude he would not have smiled <laughs> uh, yeah no that's that's terrible when people do that that is something that i think a lot of actors from very popular sitcoms do struggle with where people will like shout their catchphrases at them in life oh yeah that that's got to be terrible to the point that pauline mcclin declined to be featured in the documentary and Arlo hanlon even says you know it's a shame she's not here but you know i i do understand she's we're all very closely associated with the characters that we played. And it, it he said it was difficult for him to just go back into stand-up sure. after the show was over. And he's a brilliant stand-up. I still have that VHS of his stand-up special. Oh my God, yeah. we <laughs> The first Christmas present that I ever got for you was a, a VHS that was in the wrong format because it was only available in PAL and we had to get our friend's dad to convert it. I made myself a cup of coffee and I watched it on my TV in my room. And it was my first time seeing him you know, out of out of the, the priest costume and talking in his real voice. And it was delightful. And he was he was so good. Oh, and funny. I still have both copies, both the PAL format <laughs> and the the correct US standard format. That's fantastic. And I'm so glad. <laughs> love it, love it, love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, it is a common thing for actors to be strongly associated with one very popular cult role that they played. And that's certainly a subject in a lot of fiction that I love. Definitely in extras, that's something that Andy Millman struggles with. And uh, Bojack Horseman makes a whole series of that. And I'm sympathetic to it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, first world problems, like really like 1% problems even. But also... I just I just think that I would be so proud to have been involved with something that wonderful that, that touches so many people in any respect that even if for the rest of my life I was associated with this one thing like that that's a lovely contribution to have made to our planet. Well, and I got the vibe that by and large that is everybody's feeling about the show. Oh, certainly. And I'm not I'm not saying that about them in general, but there are there are some people who are sort of more uh, cantankerous about it and uh and don't realize what a gift it is to be able to come into people's living rooms every day or every week and help shape their lives and make them laugh when they're feeling down. It's yeah. it's such a it's a great gift. Well, the actor who played Owen McLove was on that documentary and he does say toward the end <laughs> that, you know, there's not really anything that happens in my life that someone doesn't observe and yell at me. I've got no willy. Of or, all or... the things to be yelling, I know I thought about that. Yeah, imagine having strangers say I've got no willy. <laughs> 
so that's a rough life, man. Oh, but gosh. he's. Fine. I mean, he, he had a smile on his face as he said yeah. it. But no, he's a good sport. That was a great part of the documentary is that they talked about how many Irish comedians were always auditioning for minor roles on that show. Yeah, yeah. And how it was always such a big deal was waiting on the call back from oh, yeah. the Father Ted people to to say whether or not you were going to be in it. Mm-hmm. And that's so lovely. And I think that. That's something that we'll never quite understand in being from a, a a physically, you know, so much larger country. And and I know that we're also not comedians auditioning for for sitcoms, but but for there to be such like a I wanna say like group think or like like a group you know, fandom, and, and it's an entire country, or at least, you know, the, the greater part of a country to all, you know, be in the in the fandom together is just so cool to me. Yeah, no, it sort of reminds me, this is going to sound condescending, it's not meant to, but when my mom talks about growing up in the early days of television when there were three channels, so everybody was watching the same thing, I imagine that, you know, if you're from Ireland, and everybody, everybody's watching Father Ted, it's a big part of your culture. And we don't have that in America here. There's two there's a million bajillion channels and everything's available with the click of a button there we don't have anything that we all watch no there are no like universal water cooler moments anymore no that's so sad how how lovely to have this you know i i felt it was worth mentioning as i was binging father ted i actually kind of thought about how much fun it was before I owned the DVDs to truly look forward to it week to week. And on on the day that it would air, you know, I would get home and then my younger brother would get home and he'd walk in the door and go, and it was, it was time. And, you know, of course one of us had a project and one of us had this and my mom's going, okay. And we're like, no, it's Father Ted. And you know, what's funny is that, uh, watching Father Ted, I think has probably served you better and prepared you more for your adult life and for what we're doing right now than any fucking English group project or, or science lab that you could have done. So this is where you can see that my mother and I are similar people is that after watching Father Ted, I made sure to go write my paper on Beowulf, but I also remember procrastinating terribly on studying for a biology final months later and watching Father Ted instead with my mom. And Mm -hmm. I think I even looked at her and said, we both know I have a biology final to study for. And she was like, you're going to get it done. But it it was always different for an essay. It's like biology, you're memorizing it. You're going to get it done. You can watch Father yeah. Ted. And I'm sure I remember no high school biology, but I remember every lyric to My Lovely Horse. I remember so many lines and great physical jokes on this. You know, it's it stays with you. There is something called mitosis and something called meiosis, and they both have to do with cells, maybe cell division. Yep. I don't know. Yep. I remember the drawing diagrams of it, but I remember little else. There's prophase, metaphase, anaphase, telophase. Wow, you you remember this better than I did. See, I, I could be like the Dougal character of a show about biology. Uh, if you're the Dougal, then I'm the Father Ben equivalent of Dougal, where I'm even more of a thicko or pickle, if you will. <laughs> I've got the shorts on my head and I don't even know what meiosis is. <laughs> Well, I've actually probably had the greatest time, and this is my favorite episode ever, just like Father Ted is my favorite show ever, and I never want it to end, and I want to go home and watch Father Ted again. Well, don't get too cozy with that Father Ted on Amazon Prime, because uh, you got to brush up on The Young Ones, which we're going to be discussing next week. The Young Ones is next! (laughs) See, like I said, every single week it's going to be like, no, this is my favorite show, no, this is my favorite show. You know what? You are Dougal, because it's like, oh, great, if I I had that cup, I'd be so happy. (laughs) You get to have a cup, Steph. You get to watch the young ones. <laughs> if I had that cup, 
and I was Elvis, I wouldn't need anything else. <laughs> yep, there you go. Go be Elvis and have a cup and watch the young oh ones. Oh my god, I do have a cup. Ah, oh, you're halfway there. <laughs> I love this cup. And I get to go watch the young ones and it's going to be the greatest day ever again. Yes. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, goodbye. That money was just Careful resting now. in my account. <laughs> Down with this sort of thing. <laughs> Wait, no. Drink. Arse. Feck. Girls. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Anglophilia on iTunes. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Anglopodcast. Toodle pip. What you call me?